I went super lazy with my notes this time and just sort of... <laughs> saw that. That's okay, though. Listing out the various types of monsters that showed up. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That's okay. That's okay. You know what you're going to want to talk about if you're going to talk at all. So. <laughs> it was really funny. I particularly loved the touch of the emojis. <laughs> <laughs> well, every time I type in the animal, it'd be like, here's an emoji to go with. I was like, jerk, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Big crab. <laughs> Let's. Uh, I hadn't hit record oh, yet. Oh well, fuck. Test, test the mic. Testing the mic. Test, test the mic. That does not look any better. Uh oh. All right. Uh, yeah, I get try. Okay, testing now. Is that any better? Oh yeah, it looks a lot better. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, let me turn that down a little bit. This is gonna be a fun episode to edit. Oh. <laughs> First episode to record after. After the launch. Yeah, yeah. How exciting. And, and, and after I've taken a lot of editing notes. So, okay. Uh, so, here we go. Um, welcome to Creature Crunch, the podcast where we are officially live. <laughs> like, right now, going actively. We yeah, have listeners. on our sixth episode, <laughs> we finally have uploaded the first episode. Yep. Nobody's listened to it. Um, I did. <laughs> did you? I did. Okay. What'd you think? What'd you think of the... the well, like... I, like obviously, the audio Yeah, quality, the sound but... quality sounds like we were recorded in a bucket in the devil's basement, but mm-hmm. other than that, uh, you know, it's not as bad as I was expecting. I, I know that we've improved since that first episode, so that's good. Which is cool, because, I mean, it, that, it feels like we just recorded that episode not long ago, it, but it was, I guess it was... It was a while ago. It was a while ago, but... It was at the beginning of July, and it's the beginning of October now, so... Yeah. Well, that's cool. I'm glad. I'm glad you were listening to it, and I'm yeah. glad you enjoyed it. Um, like I said I, I can. I can attest that the second episode sounds a lot better. But yeah, uh, you're editing them, so you would know. Oh, where were we? So uh, yeah, mm. Creature Crunch. Welcome. Um, uh, my name is Matt, and I'm the other one. And uh, well, uh, what we are here to talk about a movie that we didn't. Uh, neither of us. Yeah, had neither seen of us before. have watched this one before. Yeah, we this went was in, a debut for both of us. Yeah, we went in blind on this one, and uh, we watched uh, the 2020 streaming exclusive. I believe it was a Netflix exclusive uh, oh, for, movie. You know, it was a Netflix exclusive, it was, and now but, it's right. a Hulu exclusive. But uh, yeah, we watched the 2020 Love and Monsters. Yeah, uh, so Love and Monsters, um, what did we think? Chris, what did you think um, of that movie? Like, it, it, I liked it a lot. Like, it was really good. It was kind of nice to watch a, like, ostensibly a comedy movie that didn't have any really objectionable jokes in it. Like, Oh, yeah, no, I, like, I, I, I will have to agree with you there. No, no raunch humor, no shock humor. Yeah, yeah, nothing against minorities or marginalized people. Like, the worst thing that happens is a dude yells at a dog at one point. I think so. I felt bad about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it was a really, really nice little movie. Yeah, it was enjoyable. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, almost a for- formulaic storyline not yeah. anything wild or crazy out of it like but. i i kind of predicted where at least like the main plot line was going like from 
almost the first beat. Like right, right. Yeah, no, it was it was it was it was not a not an original idea, mm-hmm. not an original execution, but it was still serviceable. Yeah, it, it felt very much like Zombieland almost in a lot of ways, where mm-hmm. you know it's after a big apocalyptic event and people are trying to get from point A to point B and. Yep. So before we get too far into that, uh, you uh, where can you watch it right now? Well, uh, interestingly enough, uh, the movie premiered on Netflix. It hit, as of the time of this recording, uh, it is no longer available on Netflix. <laughs> uh, we had to watch it on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully that sticks around for a while. Yeah. But uh, Hulu's kind of becoming our go-to for watching a lot of these. Right. <laughs> they just have a really good selection at the moment. They do. But, uh, but yeah, before we get any further, uh, I will be talking about the movie and stuff. But of course, um, we will be having spoilers in this. Oh, uh, well, yeah, this completely. I mean... uh, so if you want to check it out and you haven't yet, uh, definitely do so. You, mm-hmm. you can watch it on Hulu. Uh, I, we both recommend it. Again, nothing, nothing new or groundbreaking, but still a fun. Well, watch. What it does, it does very well. Yeah, very much. So. It's got a, it's got a fun cast. It's got uh, some really cool monster uh, effects that kind of breakdown in the last act in a couple places yeah i mean i didn't really notice any practical effects i think no. they're pretty much all cgi but it's not distractingly bad yeah uh, there yeah, were no a, it's there was a moment or two that had me a, a, kind of a bit but it, most noticeably like whenever the monsters actually interact with people they turn into cartoon characters yeah but i mean as far as that goes like the designs were really fun uh-huh. uh I again, I went in blind, and mm-hmm. when I found out that the monsters were all pretty much mutated real things, I was like, "Oh, yeah, we're yeah. gonna get some boring designs." But they uh, no, really they, they ran delivered with really it. good. They delivered yeah. real well. So, um, honestly, my my one complaint about that is that we don't see in we don't see more monsters. I I, mm-hmm. I feel like there, we see a, a fair few in there, but yeah, I I really wish that. These guys would have had a bigger budget, where they could have just gone absolutely ape shit with their right. designs and the monsters everywhere. Right. Yeah. The movie. Uh, the movie did have a. It had a thirty million budget, mm-hmm. um, and most of that went into the monsters and the effects. Right. And uh, which is definitely the right choice. I mean, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, I think the char- the charisma of the actors really helped carry the rest of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I I personally found all of the actors very charismatic. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you can't go wrong with Michael Rooker. Like he's incredible. <laughs> no, Michael Rooker up. is a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, uh, so the movie was directed by Michael Matthews, whose only other film credit was a movie uh, that he that he directed called Five Fingers for Marcellis. I probably mispronounced that. Uh, Marcellus. That's probably more correct. Yeah, Five Fingers for Marcellus, uh, which is a South African neo western thriller. That's all. Yeah, it's that's a lot. <laughs> it, it looks interesting, and it, it it won best film category at the 14th annual Africa Movie Academy Awards. That's pretty cool. So I mean, it it, it won an award. It's got to be at least decent. But uh, but anyway, that, like that's literally the only other credit that I could find on mm-hmm. him as far as a film credit goes, which I found was interesting. But uh, it does it stars Dylan O'Brien as Joel Dawson. Uh, Dylan's best known for uh, being a major character in Teen Wolf series. Which and I have not seen. Neither have I. Um, but, uh, again, the internet tells me that's where he's from. Okay. And uh, he was also the lead in the Maze Runner trilogy. Which I also haven't seen. I saw the first one. I don't remember much from it. Um, and he also played the lead in uh, the Transformers Bumblebee movie. He was a car? <laughs> he was the car. <laughs> 
He played he played the titular bumblebee. <laughs> the, tit, the titular bee. <laughs> so that really shows his range of his acting. Range, yeah. <laughs> it's important to note that this man is also a robot. Good for him. Um it also had uh, it has Jessica Henwick as Amy and Jessica is best known as uh, Nymeria Sand in the HBO series Game of Thrones. And the one I'm familiar with is yeah. Colleen Wing from the Netflix Marvel series. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. And she's a very charismatic actress. That's she's really good great. in um, this. And as Colleen Wing, she was one of the high points of the unfortunate end of the Marvel <laughs> Netflix series. Yeah. Yeah, she was definitely the one of the better, the better notes. But uh, less said about that, the better, I yeah. feel. Uh, we got Michael Rooker, as you mentioned, as Clyde Dutton. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Rooker, as known as Michael Rooker. Um, <laughs> and then we have a, a, a relatively newer and upper, up-and-coming uh, ch- child actor, yeah. uh, Ariana Greenblatt, as Minnow. Uh, she, interestingly enough, I found anyway, has, she's had a lot of different like minor film mm-hmm. um, credits. But uh, most um, most notably, she played young Gamora in Infinity War. Lots of... Like former Marvel people mm-hmm. in this one, <laughs> yep. Um, and a ver- apparently, she's also been cast as Tiny Tina in the upcoming Borderlands movie. So, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you want if you want an idea of how that's going to turn out, watch this. I guess. Well, she, like, I she, mean, you she'll can, be, probably be pretty good. Yeah, in, you but... can kind of see shades of how that's probably going to go. Yeah. But you know, and then of course you have uh, they, they had uh, a dog named Hero and a dog named Dodge who both played as Boy in the movie. Boy is the dog in this movie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> You were expecting me to say something, weren't you? I don't know what I was expecting. Um, I didn't. <laughs> I was expecting the audience to applaud. I didn't get anything. You guys are, guys are dropping the we, ball. We don't this. have an audience yet, Matt. <laughs> Chris, this is episode six. It's probably not. I don't think it's coming out until like November or December. Uh, well, yeah. We're going to have an audience by then. No, I th- I'm pretty we're sure I'm still have, right. We're going to have screaming fans. and no. <laughs> we're going to be making millions on Patreon. No. Uh, so, yeah. You don't make millions on Patreon. <laughs> you might be able to buy a sandwich. We will be the first. Um, uh, some interesting facts about the movie that I was able to drudge up. Um, one of the producers credited the cinematographer, uh, Lachlan Milne, Milne. I don't know how to pronounce this person's name, um, but uh, who had worked on... Um, Stranger Things, um, the the producer credited to them as uh, benefiting this film immensely. So, uh, and and I agree, the cinematography is good in this movie. It really so. is. There's a lot of, of really nice landscape shots, and it's a pretty movie to look at. It is, yeah. So, uh, post apocalyptic note and everything. I mean, which is which is yeah. nice. We're we're past the post apocalypse looking the same like Fallout Three. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, we had, uh, of course, uh, uh, Jessica Henwick uh, evidently had a pretty rough time portraying a uh, uh, a little less savvy character in some of the later fight scenes mm. because she, uh, you know, she was trained to be Colleen Wing. And, yeah. Uh, she was good in that. And so she actually had to really downplay it in this. <laughs> That's kind of so, funny. Yeah. She's, she's still, like, the, the the fight scenes that she was in were still really good. Like, mm-hmm. no, she, 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 she did, did a great well. job. She did well. But I, I guess she's not the, the martial arts. Martial arts. Yeah, she's not the martial arts master she was in uh, in Iron Fist, but um, the movie had been locked in in development hell since 2012. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it apparently wasn't until O'Brien was finally cast in 2018 that it finally got its legs. Jeez. Um, and it was originally slated to be a theatrical release under yeah. the name Monster Problems, uh, but of course the pandemic happened and it pretty much forced it to streaming platforms. 
Um, and then, uh, despite it, I mean, it had a, you know, like I said, a $30, 30 million budget, mm-hmm. uh, apparently only grossed, uh, 1.1 million. Thanks again to the, yeah. uh, the pandemic. It, it did release in some theaters, like just over 300 across the nation. Uh, yeah, that's, um, uh, um, that's and, an, an extremely limited release. Like. Right. So, uh, but despite this, it, it did get a lot of critical acclaim and, uh, a sequel seems likely That'd though it cool. hasn't been announced at this point. I'd like to see what else they could do with, with this world. Like maybe not necessarily following the same characters, but. Right. Alrighty. So, uh, so once again, spoilers abound. We're about ready to dive into the, uh, the actual plot itself. Um, so here we go. So, uh, we start the movie with a narration from our main character, Joel, uh, giving this, giving us the story so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, evidently, an asteroid named six one six Agatha was headed to the Earth. Uh, another um, Marvel reference. That, you know what? I didn't catch that, but yeah. now that you mention it, it is very obvious. Yep, Marvel six one six. Wow. Uh, but uh, but yeah, the asteroid's headed to the Earth, and humanity blowed it up because yep. that's what humanity does. Um, evidently, though, this causes fallout from the missiles to irradiate. Uh, he says all cold, like, uh, cold-blooded animals, including mm-hmm. bugs, lizards, and fish. And then he kind of goes through a description of various things that happened after yeah. that. Uh, people he knew who got eaten by things they knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there was a mention of a, his friend got eaten by his goldfish. Uh-huh. And his cat. And his cat. And then uh, Joel continues explaining that uh, humanity basically fought back as best they could. Uh, and the military and the largest monsters took each other out. So we know we're not going to be getting any kaiju in this movie. Yeah, there's... A corpse of a really big one that you see later in the movie, and that's pretty much the biggest thing you see. Well, I mean, we also get a scene later on where some mm-hmm. people get crushed by a foot. Yeah. But but still, yeah, I guess no kaiju in this movie, is, like, at all, which made me a little sad, but oh well, whatever. Um, but we were informed that at this point, 95% of humanity has been wiped out. Yeah. So uh, people are now living in pockets of, uh, in bunkers and underground. Mm-hmm shelters known as colonies um joel has been living in a, in a specific bunker for seven years uh he narrates that he's the only one who hasn't found his soulmate in the bunker and his only companions are a cow named gertie and a defunct robot named mavis i like the cow the cow was cute they had another <laughs> cow at one point <laughs> yeah they, they apparently did but things happen <laughs> i don't remember what they said that happened to the cow but Kayla and Connor got together after Carol died. Carol was a cow who ate a box of laundry detergent. And now we only have one cow. Her name's Gertie. Gertie is great. I I think it got, like, poisoned or something. Like, it ate something it shouldn't have. Probably. Like, I it, don't know. It ate that, some... There was a lot of yeah. exposition being There's thrown a, around it's, at the beginning. Yeah, it's definitely front-loaded with exposition. It, it, for better honestly, or worse. Honestly, if I had one major gripe, at least about the narration of this movie, I think they probably could have just sliced off the entire description of what happened mm-hmm. and started here and then gave us the story later on. I think that would have been a little bit more interesting. But that's just me. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, some kind of monster, uh, we later find out like a giant ant mm-hmm. breaches the bunker. Uh, during this crisis, we learn that Joel has a reputation for being unreliable in a crisis and is told to stay behind. Anderson and Tim, flank us. Flank them, yeah. Okay, where do you guys need me? You want me to come through the rear? Or... I thought we were past this, Joel. Past what? You guys need help. I can help. Let me help. Are you going to make me say it? Say what? You can't handle it, Joel. You're shook. 
Okay, yeah, so you guys don't get scared ever? We get scared. We all get scared, Joel, but you get really scared. But we're not trying to make you feel bad, Joel. We love you, Joel. But you're unsafe. You're a liability. You've been on supply runs. Okay, why did that speech feel so rehearsed? While several of the other colony members go to fight off the monster, yeah. and the rest watch on a radio, ra radiar, 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 radiator. Uh, they go to watch. They they watch on a, a radar thing, kind of reminiscent of Alien. Mm -hmm. uh, you can tell that was kind of the inspiration for that. Um, they watch as the monster blip grabs and kills one of the colonist blips on the radar. Uh, this incites Joel to grab a crossbow and head out to help. Joel watches through a curtain as the ant monster silhouette eats a dude. And then the monster begins advancing on Joel, who is paralyzed in fear, and we get our first look at one of these monsters. Yep. yep, um, yep, yep. And it's, it. I mean, it's it's a monster mutated ant thing. Yeah. I mean, can't really say too much about it. It's a eight foot tall ant guy. Mm -hmm. But again, it doesn't look. It doesn't look. It doesn't look boring. No. It's not like them. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was. I was very much afraid that that was what the monsters were going to be like when they started describing them. Is we were going to get them, the giant Gia monster, and stuff like that. Right. But uh, no, we we get some really cool monster designs. That they're hard to describe. It's hard to kind of encapsulate them visually yeah, yeah. and verbally. But uh, but they're cool. Um, Joel is saved as a couple from the colony uh, kind of pop in and shoot it and cut its head off. Mm -hmm. And we find out that Joel uh, has a freezing problem when it comes to uh, fear. We flash back to seven years ago. Uh, we find a seventeen-year-old Joel uh, who is showing his girlfriend Amy. Uh, his amazing drawing talent, <laughs> and he is rewarded oh. with uh, colored pencils from her. I love that picture that he draws of her with the massive head and the teeny tiny little hand. And the, and the <laughs> shading that's a beard. Yeah. <laughs> I that mean, was cute. To be completely fair, uh, I feel that pain. Uh, I remember back in uh, middle school, I want to uh -huh. say it was, we had an art class, and I was told to draw my mother's face from memory, and I drew it, oh. and I was like, I need to shade it, and... Oh boy, that did not end well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I feel you, Joel. I really do. <laughs> but uh, it's okay. It's okay. She she finds it charming. Uh, they end up making out, but they, and, until they are interrupted by the military fighting a giant monster down below uh, this kind of lookout point style right. cliff that they're on. It's like a city limits sign or something like that, something. or like a, a welcome to sign. Or... It, it's yeah. it, to me, it's the Hollywood uh, Hollywood's idea of where the teens go to make. Yeah, out. yeah, pretty much. Like, that's just what it is. But uh, we we cut back to the present and learn that Joel has been using these pe colored pencils that she gave him to not only improve his drawing skills mm -hmm. but start making a, like a kind of a codex of the monsters. This is one of my favorite like through points of the entire movie was was the book he's doing. Yeah, like, that was really cool. Like the you can tell that like the 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 illustrations look good. They don't look realistic, but they look they you can tell what they're supposed to be, and it. It's a different sort of talent to be able to do that in a movie like this where you could easily just have your arts department like just use the, the sketches for the monsters. But they actually had somebody draw those, and that's I, I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have to agree with you. Like, they, they almost look like they're ripped right out of a video game. Something, yeah. Like a video game sketchbook or something. So I, and, and I dig that for sure. And yeah, this, this becomes kind of a framing device as far mm -hmm. as... It kind of explains better why he's getting some of the lessons he's getting later. Yeah, not yeah. just because he's you know trying to survive, but you know it, it, it's a nice touch. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, uh, Joel calls Amy on a ham radio. 
Uh, evidently, he's only recently located her colony after trying for quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, he says he like tried 90 different ones or something like that. Um, and he laments not being with her and then eventually loses reception. Um, this was the exact point I knew where the movie was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not subtle. No. It's not, it's not, it's not a big twist. No, it, it's like, before this point, as either, well, she's either already dead or she's moved on. Right. And as soon as he starts talking to her, it's like, oh, okay, she's already moved on. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean, not to jump ahead a little too much, but I definitely feel, though, that they, the movie kind of makes it to where it's not meant to be a surprise to right. us. But it is very much a surprise to Joel, which well, which it, makes sense. It's a surprise to him because he won't acknowledge that it's that that's what happened. That it's been seven years in very stressful circumstances for both of them. Like it's he's not going to be able to go back to that night, right? And that's like the the through line of the or one of the through lines of the movie is that that time is gone, right? Um, we uh, we flash back again to see Joel and Amy separating as their town of Fairfield is being evacuated. Uh, Amy gives Joel her good luck charm, known as Crocodile Carl, before leaving to join her parents. Yep. And Joel's mom is taking the chandelier for some reason. Yeah, I had to note that, too. That was... That was really weird. <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> like, I get wanting to take as much stuff out of your house as possible, but... <laughs> she shoves the chandelier yeah, in his arm. and he's like, this holding is... onto that, like, security blanket throughout all of these flashbacks. <laughs> I think it's meant to show just how traumatic and wild the situation yeah, is, yeah. but it, it was. It, I took note of it. And I thought it was a funny touch. Yeah. But uh, we cut back. Uh, Joel's colony is discussing the breach, mm-hmm. and Joel wonders how. Well, just kind of out of nowhere to them, he just kind of wonders along. Um, wonders how long it would take to reach Amy's colony on the coast. How far away is Amy's colony? What? Amy's colony. How far away is it? About 85 miles. How long does that take to get there? Joel, you're not actually thinking of going. Tim, just humor me. How long? Seven days. Minimum. An armed and trained hunting party would be lucky to last 50 miles on the surface. But you, Joel. Uh, So they have very little hope in Joel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joel decides to go anyway. Screw them. I'm tired of watching y'all bone. I'm getting out of here. (laughs) Yeah. I don't blame them there. Like, they show that from that, like, everyone's hooking up scene. It's like, everyone in this colony is fucking except him. Yep. <laughs> and there's not really doors so much as there are just cur- curtains. Curtains that they don't close. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, everybody tries very poorly to convince him to stay. They come up with some reasons that he immediately debunks. We're not letting you leave, Joel. You need it here. Tim, no, I'm not. Come on, I don't do anything. Joel, that's not true. You fix the radio, you make the minestrone. Okay. Doesn't sound as important when I say it out loud. (laughs) They fix the radio and cooks minestrone, and they were just like, wow, yeah, maybe you should leave. (laughs) (laughs) I know that doesn't sound very impressive, but... (laughs) Um, Apparently, they were so sure that he was not going to listen to them and that they did not have a strong case that uh, one of them, Karen, uh, even has made him a map already. Yeah, they they knew he was going to go, and they couldn't stop him. Like, they they were going to try and stop him, but there was... Yeah. Yeah. They weren't going to be able to. Yep. Joel gets uh, up and out of the bunker, checks out the map to see where Mm -hmm. he should go, and learns that it's not really a great map. No. It's 
It's just kind of a series of lines and directions. And it, does, and it doesn't even have, like, our colony here marked on it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no starting location. Yeah. It's just a bunch of, like, don't go here, don't go here, don't go here. Yep. This is bad. <laughs> But but there's no landmarks. There's no. nothing. It's just a big piece of paper with random circles drawn on yeah, it. It's yeah. pretty good. Uh, he immediately decides that's not going to work, so he gives up on using it. Uh, and then he decides he, he he knows he needs to head west, but he's not really sure which direction it is. Yeah. And he makes his decision on dubious knowledge at best. Uh, he, he tries to go one direction. He's like, no, it's not that way. Then he goes the other direction. He goes, no, it's not that way. You know what? I'm going to split the difference. It's like, yeah. oh boy, this poor kid is going to die. Yeah. <laughs> He ends up finding a frisbee and hears some monster noises, so he takes refuge in a nearby house uh, where the refrigerator screams at him. <laughs> really wish we could have seen what was in there. <laughs> uh, he stumbles out and into the uh, kind of the outdoor pool in the house's yard, mm-hmm. and the pool starts to look at him. It really reminded me of uh, Prometheus, like the little snake thing from Prometheus that the scientists shoved their face into. Yeah. I almost thought that was what was going to happen. He's be like, oh, what's this? And then it does something. (laughs) But no, it turns out to be a giant frog. Yeah, huge, huge mutated frog. Oh, really cool looking giant frog. Yeah, it climbs up out of the pool and it tries to eat him with a big Yoshi tongue. Yeah, this, I love the design of this frog because it is honestly pathetic. Like, one of its eyes is blind. One of its legs does not function. And it's it, like when it gets out of the pool, it is just limping along after him. Like it is, it's disgusting and dreadful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really like that design. It, it's really, really cool. Uh, it tries to eat him, gets a lot like a garden gnome instead. But I guess you're right. This is where he freezes up and yeah. it, it does get him. It, it wraps mm-hmm. around his leg. Um, and out of nowhere, a, a very adorable dog runs That dog in. is super cute. I love that dog. That dog has a lot of charisma. Yeah, that, and he's amazing. He runs in and he saves Joel from becoming a snack. Mm-hmm. Uh, bites the tongue and and the, the two of them get away. Uh, because the frog isn't very fast, like you were saying. Well, yeah, yeah. It's one of At least one of its back legs is non-functional. Like, it just drags behind it. See, I didn't catch that yeah, when it, I watched it. It's got this huge, bulbous body. It, it, I mean, frogs are stomachs with eyes in the first place. Right. And this one is even more so that. Like, it... <laughs> Like, so one of its eyes is completely blind and, like, sliding off of its head. Its legs, like, don't function except for its two front ones. So it's just, like, scrambling along, <laughs> pulling its massive bulk behind. It's like something out of Resident Evil, almost. Yeah, very. I, I could see that. I could definitely see that. And those are, like, some of my favorite monster designs. So I, I, I really dug this. No, it looks cool. So, um, but the dog leads Joel back to its sweet pad inside of a bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learned that the dog's name is Boy, as it is painted on the inside of the mm-hmm. bus. I really like that the dog has trained itself to be able to close the door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, when I first saw that, I was just like, this is totally the dog's home. He does not have an owner. He decorated this place himself. <laughs> um, Wish but, he would have. <laughs> right? But uh, but apparently not. Uh, it's, it's kind of hinted that Boy's original owner lived there with him, yeah. and uh, he's particularly attached to a red dress that probably belonged to that original mm-hmm. owner and who is now gone. Uh, and it's pretty much hinted that, that she is dead. She is long gone. Yeah, something happened to her. Mm-hmm. Like, we never find out what, but... Uh, Joel decides to leave Boy behind, uh, but he decides to take some lipstick as a memento for some reason. Yeah, he says he's going to give it to Amy, but it's like, I don't know if she'd want someone else's dusty old lipstick from... Right? Well, he, he supposedly he knows her better than we do, so I guess, maybe yeah. 
Maybe she's like into that. Maybe, Maybe. she collects lips. I don't know. But he decides to take it. Um, and boy wants to come too because, you know, he's a lonely pup. Mm-hmm. But he will not leave without that red dress. Mm-hmm. Or as I have in my notes, red dress dress. Hmm. Um, Way to go, buddy. So so Joel Joel realizes this and sticks it in his backpack. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel and Boy bond over a montage, and during this time, Joel finds some purple, like weird looking purple berries that he wants to eat. But Boy won't let him. He's yeah. he's growling and barking at him. And when he holds it up to the light, it looks gross. Like yeah, it all to me it almost looks like an like an like a translucent egg. Like there yeah, was something yeah. growing inside of it. I was like oh yeah, don't don't eat that. But he's like oh it looks tasty though. It's like no no it doesn't. No, <laughs> I wouldn't eat that. Um, I wouldn't eat that even in a non-survival situation. Yeah, really. Um, but uh, after the montage, he falls into a pit with uh, full, filled with giant mutant worms. Um, while he's screaming and shouting, he's eventually saved by Clyde, played by Michael Rooker, mm-hmm. who will be known as Michael Rooker from now on, and uh, Minnow, which is, uh, of course, Ariana Greenblatt. Uh, they, they toss, they save him, they pull him out of the hole, toss a grenade into the hole, uh, and inform Joel that the worms are called sand gobblers. For gobbling all that sand. Yep. All the sand that they gobbled out yep. of that dirt. Um, Michael Rooker tells Joel that uh, something has heard Joel's screams and has likely now picked up his scent. Mm-hmm. Um, Minnow proceeds to name drop uh, a bunch of potential candidates. Tree flamer, herd stomper, t- rock diver, limb snapper, limb crusher. My favorite, the tumbler. Yeah, I wanted to see the tumbler. I did too. And and again, we, we get a slight hint of it uh-huh. later on. Is a big boy, yeah. But that's unfortunately we don't we don't get anything more on these guys, which I was a little disappointed. I, you know, I, watching this movie, I knew that it was going to be building up to some sort of final monster they had to fight, which is like already at this point I decided that's probably what we we're going to do the crunch on. Mm-hmm. And so I was starting to like, okay, I'm getting ready to take notes on this jumbler. Yeah, this is what's yeah. going to be, and no, it doesn't. We don't really get a payoff on that, which is a little disappointing. But uh, that's okay. I'm I'm still happy with what we get, but yeah. we'll get to that point. They eventually get to the top of a hill and pause for a bit. Uh, Michael Rooker surveys the landscape, and uh, Minnow begins giving Joel some shooting lessons. Because he is terrible with that crossbow to start with. Yeah, he, he can't hit the broadside of a barn. Um, and that, and I think this is where we see some of the corpses like out in the fields and distances mm-hmm. and things, which are really cool. Uh, kind of giving a hint to what happened before. Yeah, yeah. Rooker doesn't believe Joel is going to survive, uh, which is a fair assumption to make. Yep. Uh, we learn also that Minnow lost her dad and Michael Rooker lost his son back when they all lived in the, a subway station. So they are not related. They're just kind of sticking together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess kind of implying that the entire colony went up. That's the feeling I got is that they were the only two survivors. Mm-hmm. Or if there were other survivors, they went their own way. Yeah. Michael Rooker then begins giving Joel a list of survival lessons. Uh, uh, I don't even. I don't think that he is aware of Joel's notebook at this point in time. No. So it, it, I know later on it becomes a, a the idea that Rooker is kind of not only teaching Joel how mm-hmm. to survive, but also here here's some good useful information for your notebook. But he does start here, uh, and the first the first lesson is always survey from high ground when possible. Always. Always helps you spot the big ones in advance. Um, which evidently he did see what was tracking Joel, which he identifies as a jumbler, uh, much to Minnow's delight. Um, but it's okay, though, because jumblers are usually big and slow, and this one is particularly large. As they continue, Joel nearly backs into a giant snail monster thing. Yeah, I like this thing. Mm-hmm, it was really cool. Uh, and Michael Rooker is very, very 
cautious and like, hey, you know, be quiet, quiet, quiet. Shoot, don't move, don't move. Yeah. Uh, commands Joel to take off his shirt and then he stuffs it into the snail's boulder. <laughs> the, like the boulder of the snail's shell and uh, and it leaves. And uh, we get a little bit of a foreshadowing here where um, Minnow and Rooker then explain that there are some nice monsters actually. There can be nice ones? You can always tell them their eyes. Just look at their eyes. That was one of the things I didn't really care for in this movie, <laughs> was that, like, apparently good monsters have goodness in their eyes. Like, that's... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It didn't bother me any. I, I didn't really translate it as, like, goodness in their eyes and more of, like, you can see an intelligence in their eyes. Mm. Because their eyes are very much... Like, the, the, at least those... The, the, the good ones. Yeah. Their eyes are animated in a way that gives them a lot more... I don't know. They they, they yeah. seemed more intelligent to me, and I thought mm -hmm. that was kind of the idea. Maybe, but oh, that yeah, take it to leave it. That's that's what we're, the movie gives us. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, the snail begins moving on, and Rooker tells that, that now the snail is going to spread Joel's scent to throw off the tumbler. And by tumbler, we will never see or hear yeah. from you again. That's it for tumbles. Yep. We we learn that Michael Rooker and Minnow are headed to the mountains because there are fewer monsters there because of the cold. Uh, but Joel is still pretty dead set on going to the beach. Um, they camp out and we get a lot of, we get a lot of like bonding moments in this scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think this is where the, the like codex is brought up. Um, and Rooker also learns that Joel is from Fairfield and this kind of immediately garners some respect from him because apparently... According to him, uh, Fairfield was basically ground zero, and very few people made it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, at the end of the scene, Michael Rooker tells Joel lesson number two, which is... You get a hot meal or a good night's sleep. Not both. Not both. Are you being serious? Something would have smelled our food and be all over this camp within the hour. Why wouldn't you tell me that, though? I, I, didn't, I didn't do either. I can't tell you everything, man. Keep up. So, sucks to be Joel. <laughs> uh, we get another montage with some more narration from Joel as we learn some more key lessons. Uh, very reminiscent of Zombieland. Yeah. Lesson three, don't take shortcuts. Lesson eight, target practice every day. I'm getting pretty good with my crossbow. Pretty good. Lesson ten, keep your socks dry. That's a great one. Uh, which... Okay, yeah, solid advice. The montage eventually ends with Michael Rooker giving Joel a crash course in flora that he shouldn't touch or eat, but he also points out a specific fern that has an anti-venom, which is apparently good in case he's bitten by snakes or slugs. So, um, and again, like, a lot of this stuff, it's like, you, you think this is just kind of like world-building or useless facts for the audience, but a lot of this comes back. It really does. Like, it, other than the socks, the socks don't. No, no, but... I think that was more of a red herring. Yeah. Because it, it dumps a lot of information, but mm -hmm. a lot of this comes back. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, I liked that. I did like that. Um, and then he's also giving Joel a bunch of monster facts for Joel to write down in his book, um, such as that insect ones have no peripheral vision, which is freaking weird, if you ask me. Yeah, I don't. Like, I'm pretty sure insects have all of the vision. I think they've mastered vision in real life. I, but... don't, I don't know. I'm not an <laughs> Some, entomologist. Maybe, no, but... but yeah. But maybe the mutation did something to them. Yeah. Um, and then also well, the, the lizard ones can't climb for shit. 
Yeah. Which, but like if we were going by any sort of realistic standards, those bugs could not be that big. They would collapse in on themselves. Okay, you're right. Let's stop talking about realism. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying square cube law. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the lizard ones can't climb and the amphibian one, the amphibian ones tend to hide and lure you in, which I mean, we've seen. Mm -hmm. So, uh, he also tells Joel that the sand gobblers he encountered were just the workers and that he should avoid the queen, which we know that very shortly we're going to be seeing a queen. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, he, he kind of gives Joel some tips as to what to look out for. Uh, namely just the a big old of, fin cutting through the, yeah, like the a dirt. sand shark almost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then imminent death. Mm -hmm. Uh, the trio eventually get to the point where they need to part ways. Minnow is, has at this point really bonded with Joel and as they're trying to convince Joel to come with them, yep. but he's still dead set on heading to the beach. Uh, Joel gives her the lipstick. So that's the payoff of that. Yep. Again, like, they they do give us payoffs. I don't think a lot of them are great, but here you go. Um, but uh, but yeah, he gives her the lipstick, which she's overjoyed about, and Rooker gives him a grenade. Um, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yep. Joel's greedy and asks for more. <laughs> yeah. But Rooker only gives him the one. Um, we then uh, find Joel and Boy later walking through a forest of boats, like old decrepit boats. Yeah. It's like a dried up. Um... Like recreational park lake or something, something like that. Something like that. That's what I had originally in my notes that it was like that. But I mean, those trees are like all fully grown, so I'm yeah. not, and pretty close together. It's a pretty relatively dense forest, so I'm not really sure what this is supposed to be. Maybe like the a flood zone. <laughs> I was thinking like the flood, like oh, a flood yeah. zone. So yeah, buddy. Because I mean, there's there's boats in the trees and everything. Even it's true. So, uh, but suddenly, boy has a freak out attack and takes cover under a big duck paddle boat thing. Um, and a huge centipede-like monster emerges from the underground. Yeah, the, it's kind of an interesting monster. Like, we we get a definite view of, like, its hunting habits, where it, like, distracts the prey with its super long antenna, and then the back end comes around and, and gets him. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, it smacks Joel rather than, like, using the pinchers that it clearly has, because uh, otherwise Joel would be a dead boy. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Joel's Joel's frozen up. Uh, he wants to shoot it, but uh, he gets hit from the tail from behind. Uh, it then wraps itself around the duck boat and starts going for boy. Um, don't worry, audience. The dog lives. Joel has a flashback to his parents getting stepped on um, in their car. Mm -hmm. We apparently got in a wreck and couldn't get out of the car, and he's the only one who got up freed, so that's the only hint of the other kaiju that we get. Yep, he um, escapes with the chandelier. Yep. He did save the chandelier. Yeah, yeah. Which we also never see again. I think it's actually hanging in in their bunker. Is it really? Yeah. I might have to go and check that because that would be a fun little, a little fun little nod, a little yeah. Easter egg. But because um, the, the people who who save him are the people from the bunker. Right, right. right. You can see um, what's his name, Joe, I think, or not Joe. Um, I had him written Tim. 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 Yeah, I had him written down, but then I was just like, these characters are not important enough for me to name. Yeah. <laughs> so. I don't, I don't want to have a repeat of what I did with Carnosaur. Um, <laughs> but yeah, after this flashback, Joel kind of finds the resolve to overcome his freezing issue. Mm -hmm. uh, and he jumps in and saves Boy by shooting the monster with his crossbow a couple times and, it, and kills it. He's feeling pretty great about having killed a monster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, then, like I said, this is his hero-making moment yep, for him. Yep. Uh, he eventually finds a working Mavis robot. Uh, it is broken, having been bitten in half by something. But it can communicate and talk. It's it's basically like mobile Google, I guess. I don't. Yeah, yeah. They were supposed to be like the next big AI thing, so it's kind of like 
Alexa, I guess, but mm-hmm. yeah, mobile, Alexa which is terrifying. Yeah, which does beg the question. Like, I did not realize that this movie was supposed to t- kind of take place in an alternate universe or like a, a slightly in the future or something. It's I don't know, but uh, whatever. I bought it. Yeah, it's fine. Um, Mavis offers offers up some of her remaining power to fix Joel's radio so that he can call Amy, mm-hmm. uh, and he tells Amy that he's on the way. Uh, she informs him that some people showed up to save the colony. Uh, which he finds a little troubling. But before she can elaborate, Mavis runs low enough on power that she has to stop the radio and informs him that she only has about 15 minutes left of life. Yeah. Like, this is a really sweet scene with Joel and this this robot. <laughs> it is. It is. They, they have a tender moment. Uh, he confides in Mavis, uh, who, you know, I, I think they also tried to, they shoehorned a little bit of robot humor in there because he... Uh, Mavis drops some harsh truths on Joel uh-huh. about the possible outcomes of his journey. When you see her, she will appreciate the grand romantic gesture implied by your journey and be moved by your kindness and leadership qualities. Thanks, Mavis. Another option is that Amy will not see those qualities in you and you will have traveled a great distance only to be met with disappointment. Perhaps you will have learned valuable lessons along the way. Okay. A third option is that you don't survive the journey at all and get eaten by mutated insects. Okay. Amphibians. I get it. There are so okay. many ways you could perish. I get it. And to be fair, Mavis ain't wrong. No. <laughs> so she she got it. She got one of those right. But uh, apparently, she's still connected to the internet somehow. I, or yeah, I don't get that. Has cause... data banks. Yeah, I almost like assume that she she downloaded all of like Facebook off of the internet before <laughs> before it you know went down because otherwise why are these people not just emailing each other? But yeah, anyway, she she ends up pulling up an image of Joel's mother. Mm-hmm. This allows Joel to kind of have some closure, which they they it's meant to be a very touching scene, and I see where they were going from with it, but it felt weird to me. It's a bit forced. Like, yeah. Yeah, Beyond just how does Mavis have these pictures, like, it just felt really forced. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too disconnected from that kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. uh, it it felt a little weird. But um, the touching scene continues on as some sky jellyfish show up. They're really pretty. Yeah. Like, they did good on those effects for those. Yep. And then Mavis begins playing uh, uh, some... Stand By Me by Benny King, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really nice moment. Uh, and then Mavis dies. Stops. <laughs> yeah, and then Mavis just dies pretty quick into that, yeah. ruining the beautiful moment. <laughs> you, you think it's going to be the, like this longer scene where she plays the like almost the entire song or whatever. She plays about 10 seconds of it and then goes down. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and Joel's just like, well, cool. My robot friend died. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he did bury her, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, the next day, Joel is kind of stressing out about these survivors being mm-hmm. a romantic threat to him. And yeah, which is kind of, eh, but... <laughs> uh-huh. he, Joel's clearly got some messed up priorities, I think. He, re- he really does. Uh, and that, that's what the movie is almost about, is him getting over these. But right. It's still, it's, it's just kind of gross where he's like, well, okay, my ex-girlfriend at this point let's be honest here is going to be rescued along with all the people she's living with but what if she falls in love with a boy yep yeah it's like come on dude um 
Fortunately, this thought is cut short as he almost walks into a sinkhole. Yeah. <laughs> and is then approached by a queen sand gobbler. We mm-hmm. know this because the fin comes sticking out of the ground. Yep. Um, he's he's running away, uh, falls down a hill next to a river and loses his backpack. And he and Boy take refuge in a tree stump. Um, and we have a kind of an intense scene of we, it we sniffing around a the real trunk. close up of this thing, and it looks like a bootleg graboid. Yeah, very, probably inspired by. Oh, I did. Yeah, there's no way it's not yeah. like. And, uh, and we have, like, kind of a, like, as far as this movie goes, being supposed to be, a, you know, a relative comedy. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, having a lot of humor. I mean, it's got a little bit of suspense and stuff. But this scene is, it's like, straight up. scene. This, yeah. this scene is straight up emulated from hardcore horror movies yeah. like Alien. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's. Where he's just, he has that dog in it. Like yeah, a vice grip to keep it from whining. Yeah, or... he's holding boy's mouth shut and yeah, apologizing to the dog the whole time. So yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. yeah, <laughs> it's it's, it's an, a, an intense yeah. scene. Where did this scene come from? <laughs> it fell out of a different movie. It sure did. Uh, the creature does begin to leave, uh, but then they see uh, the dress blow out of the backpack and into the mm-hmm. river, and boy freaks out, uh, running after it and drawing the monster back. Mm-hmm. Joel pulls out the uh, Chekhov's grenade. Um, fumbles it. Yeah, fumbles after it pulling after the pulling the pin. Uh, he was told to count till five, so he's counting while he, he's fumbling he has, for it. He has to count to five. Not four, not six, oh. but five. Yeah. And it's like, come on. Yeah, that was a, that was a forced... You, you know better. Movie. <laughs> Bad movie. Bad movie. You're going to rub your nose in it. Um, but yeah, Joel fumbles with it. Uh, counts to uh, recounts to five yeah. so he's lucky he didn't blow his arm clean off <laughs> but he does toss it into its gullet and uh and the monster explodes mm-hmm. and he's knocked into the river um he swims across leaves the water and finds that well, he's got like, and then like oh. halfway across he starts like complaining about how he's something he's hurting like something's hurting yeah him. yeah he's he's swimming across and it it I thought something was going to start getting him from in the water, which would have been like some sort of like well, crocodile I, or something. Something like I thought, or like when the the queen sand gobbler blew up, like its tooth impaled his leg or something. Is kind of what I thought. Sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we got too good of a payoff on that because he he gets out of the water and turns out he's just got a bunch of giant leeches on him. He's got a bunch of LSD leeches on him. Yeah, they. Uh, like he has a freak out. <laughs> yeah, but not before he blames boy. Uh, for the near death experience, mm-hmm. yells at him and and boy runs away. It's it's a breakup scene that's tragic it's and kind sad. of unwarranted. I think I yeah I, I agree. It didn't really seem necessary, especially since we already had their like we're in it together scene when they fought the centipede. Yeah, I, and apart from the the near death experience and the the leeches, which at this point Joel is just more more disturbed by rather than like actually causing a problem. Well, yet. They're, they're super goopy. And they're, like, all over him. And, and I'm sure it doesn't feel great. It doesn't but... feel great. Like, he's got little bite marks on him. Mm-hmm. And they never show if he's got any down his pants. <laughs> I mean, okay. He, like, if they got under his shirt, yeah, they would have to have crawled up his pant legs. I'm glad they cut that scene. But yeah. um, still, it's he's he's mostly inconvenienced. And I'm sure that, yeah, a near-death experience is probably pretty frightening and can elevate tensions. Mm-hmm. But... He's he's acting like the dog caused some horrible event that like, yeah, and he's acting like the dog did it on purpose rather than being a dog. Uh-huh. And it's like, uh, yeah, the dog the dog runs away, and that's when the, the psychedelics start kicking. Yeah, in. 
Uh, he starts wandering through the forest in kind of a daze. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we get some trippy music playing. Yep. Uh, he eventually remembers Michael Rooker's advice, and he devours one of the ferns. He's glad he landed near one of those. Yeah. Like, well, the thing is, I I'm not a hundred percent sure if I wasn't sure how the movie, why the movie, uh, if the movie did this on, on purpose. But he mm-hmm. lands on the ground. And he looks at this fern, and it's like this red and white-looking plant. But yeah. then when he grabs it and eats it, it cuts to him eating it, and it's a green one. I, so I'm not sure if it was meant to be, like, he he just hallucinated that was the right fern. or Like, maybe? I thought I he know. just grabbed its leaves, is what he did. I don't and know. And he should have grabbed the rest of the plant. <laughs> but he devours this plant. Yeah. Um, and fortunately, Amy suddenly shows up and uh, rescues him. Um, and I thought, again, she's probably going to be a hallucination, And he, but he kisses her and then faints. Mm-hmm. And then he wakes up later on uh, in her colony, and she's there and talking to him, and uh, turns out it was a hallucination. He actually kiss, kissed old Pete, played by Bruce Spence, mm-hmm. very briefly. Yeah, old Pete doesn't seem to care too much. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we then learned that the, uh, the survivors that found Amy's colony uh was a yacht captain known as cap played by mm-hmm. dan ewing uh and his whole crew of two other people um they apparently found amy's colony and they're promising to take them all somewhere safe mm-hmm. which already like you you immediately get the sense that like yeah like, like joel's probably not unwarranted in his suspicions just for the wrong reasons right when and, and especially when we're introduced to cap it's it's instantly one of those this man is is really handsome, nice, and Australian. A little too handsome, nice, and Australian. Which one of you is the yacht captain? Guilty as charged. Captain Brooks Wilkinson. Royal Australian Navy. Oh, dear God. Retired, of course. I'm Edge Cap. Ah. Uh, yeah. man. So you've met these specimens, but this beautiful lady, it's our yacht. A little showy for my taste, but she gets the job done. He, he's just a super charismatic guy mm-hmm. intended to be. And it's, it very much to me, it's like, okay, there, this guy is way too nice. Right. Um, and Joel is insecure about him, but mostly because he's handsome and a threat. Yeah. Yeah. Not because he's untrustworthy. Uh, Amy and Joel do finally get some face to face catch up time. And Joel learns that, Oh, gasp. Amy has moved on. She's yeah. not the same After person. Seven she years. To be. Yeah. Uh, she's, apparently taking up the responsibility of keeping upkeep on this colony uh, that seems to be comprised mostly of just old people. Yeah, do they ever explain why that is? They don't explain why. I never caught that, that it, like, why that is, but uh-huh. it's definitely a choice. Like, it yeah. was, it's definitely intended to be, like, show that she is the only one who can take care of yeah. these people. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's one of the reasons why she's moved on. Uh, she's kind of become hardened, and, and, yeah, she's not looking for a relationship right now, which... Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel kind of drops that he thinks that the world isn't beyond hope. That you know he survived on the surface for a week, so though surely other people can. Yeah, if he's if he this completely like hapless person can get out there and learn how to survive, like surely anybody can do it. Yeah, but he doesn't really have a plan on how to execute that. Yeah, and he's saying this to a colony mostly composed of really really old people. Yeah. Who don't like him either, <laughs> except for Janice. I think her name was well, Janice. Yeah, and, but that's because he's talked to her on the radio. Uh-huh. Uh, so downtrodden and defeated, Joel tr- sits down at the ham radio and tries to contact his old colony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while he's doing so, he he pulls out the map and he finally notices on the back of it, there are a bunch of like 
notes like yeah almost like, like really a, nice notes yeah like a like a yearbook kind of style yeah like, yeah you know good luck we'll miss you please the come cow back will safe. miss you <laughs> yeah um um kind of making him realize that despite the fact that he didn't have a love interest at the old colony they were still his family and they cared about him yeah yeah which is it's a real touching moment uh completely different from how the movie began but i think that's just because we were supposed to see the the beginning of the movie as he's perceived it yeah, not yeah. as it actually is so uh, he, he does finally get through to them and learns that things have gotten worse for them. They've had more breaches. They are in dire straits and they're starting to, they're starting to consider leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Joel decides to head back. Uh, but at this point he realizes that the captain is trying to feed the colony, uh, all the purple berries that boy wasn't too happy about earlier yeah. in the movie. Um, and that's when he kind of realizes that cap is not really on the up and up that and like, um, Cap tells the story at the the dinner the previous night that like his his colony was attacked by a giant lizard that climbed up the walls, and he flashes back to what uh, what Rooker told him like you know the lizard ones can't climb for shit, and he's like wait a second, this doesn't make any sense despite yeah. the fact that lizards can climb like motherfuckers <laughs> like i don't know why them being mutated would stop them from doing that it's, it's the same reason why bugs don't have perfect, i guess so, yeah. vision i guess but and why amphibians became the perfect uh ambush predator, ambush predator. but um regardless uh yeah he that he, he's putting it together mm-hmm. um he tries to warn amy but it's already too late the entire colony seems drugged yeah which uh if i could go off on a little bit of a tangent here I get real sick of movies and media and things doing that where the protagonist or whoever the audience even finds out what's actually going on. They're tipped off, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter because it's too late. It's right, just like, right. well, then what's the point of them figuring it out? Like, there's yeah, n- there's no point, that. but whatever. He's he's captured as, as well as the entire colony. Um, Cap ambushes him. Uh, ties them all up with like zip ties and blows up their radio with a wrist mounted RPG. Yeah. And of course we get some, we get some of the, the monologue, the, the evil monologue mm-hmm. from cap um, uh, that apparently the yacht, because the, because there are no more fuel reserves left on earth, really their fuels really hard to find. Uh, they're basically getting around by taming a giant monster crab. They have it. It's less taming and more well, enslaving. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Wrong, wrong choice of words, but they're, yeah. it's being pulled by this giant monster crab, um, and Cap is controlling it with a series of electric shocks mm-hmm. uh, that he can kind of, he's got like a beeper on his belt, and it shocks the crab with the chain that it's attached to. Uh, apparently, the crab is hungry, and he releases it on the colonists. Um, boy, he comes to the rescue. Uh, I, I took kind of fast and loose notes on the on the action sequence here because it's just a, it's an action sequence. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, boy, boy comes to the rescue. They all manage to break free. Uh, one of Cap's crewmen accidentally shoots the crab with the RPG while aiming at the boy. Uh, the crab <laughs> seems to not really care about this. It just kind of shrugs off the explosion, mm-hmm. which I took note of for later. Um and in the uh, kind of the climax of the fight, uh, Joel is pinned up against, you know, against a rock and looks into the crab's eyes and realizes that the crab is one of the good ones. It's got the well-animated eyes. Yep, it's got the good eyes. Uh, so he sees that the, uh, he sees the big, like, spike in it that's delivering the electric shocks and he shoots the electric chain binding the monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the crab drops Joel and then immediately turns around to go kill Cap and his crew. Yeah, it's pissed. Yep. Um... After the battle, 
Joel decides to head back to his colony and to bring them all to the Mm -hmm. mountains where it's supposedly safe. Uh, Before leaving, he gives Amy back her crocodile Carl charm that she gave him. And he also gives her his notebook so that she might be prepared to survive on the surface. Mm -hmm. Uh, they They share a tender departing moment, you know, kind of a farewell kiss. Like, yeah, you know, I realize you've moved on. I've moved on too, but we're still going to kiss because this is a romantic thing. But um, we get another brief montage with Joel making it back to his colony. uh, And he records a speech to be played over the radio to inspire other colonies to start leaving their bunkers and head to the mountains. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the movie ends with a scene that uh, with Minnow and Rooker who have made it to the mountains uh, listening to Joel's speech and... They don't think Joel's going to make it. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that was Love and Monsters that in, in yeah. kind of a nutshell. Uh, let me see where we're at time-wise. Not bad. Okay. Um, but yeah, so no no plot twists that no, are going to have I you mean, jaw-dropping. I think I saw... It's a pretty straightforward movie. Yeah, I think, saw, I, think I saw somebody on net, uh, a review say, like, it's a forgettable movie, but it's a fun movie. And yeah. That's not entirely inaccurate. So. No. The monster designs are, are really cool. Um, like, they're all the big, enlarged wildlife type, but they're, they're mutated slightly, so they look kind of funky. Yep. Uh, the frog, I think, is definitely the standout, even more so than the, the crab at the end. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, well, he the, the frog is the first one that you get to see. Yeah, before so... that, you see, like, a couple of big caterpillars on, like, the side of a bus. And then you get... And oh, the big ants. Yeah, like, half of the big ant in the yeah. beginning. But the frog is, like, the first big reveal monster mm-hmm. that's... Um, so they you can definitely tell that they poured a little bit more of the design elements into that. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, is a good payoff. Mm-hmm. I think the... Uh, honestly, the sand gobbler was... I don't remember much of it just because you don't see much of it since it's you, underground you see most it's of the thin, time. And then you see like a big eruption of dirt and like maybe right. some tongues flailing uh, out. I liked the design of the uh, the centipede thing that attacks them in the in the forest mm-hmm. of boats. Uh, I mean it it definitely looks like a giant centipede yeah, and it's yeah. pretty disturbing and awful. Uh, and the crab is it's fun, but it's just a giant crab. It's a big crab with like moss growing on it mm-hmm. and you know big sad eyes. Yeah. <laughs> And it, it looks like it's probably a mutated fiddler crab because it's got the one great big claw and then a little tiny baby claw next to it. Sure. So I, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be a fiddler crab. I, you're, I don't know crabs, so. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a much of a scientist, so. Uh, so yeah, um, we're going to go ahead and go into the crunch part. Yep. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that there. Uh, we'll see you guys in a moment. Welcome back. Um, we're going to go ahead and start crunching this stuff up here. Uh, of course, since it was my pick, I was the one in charge of this one. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, I was kind of pleasantly surprised with this one because going in, I knew that I wanted to do the, the title monster of whatever they fought at the end. Right. You know? And during the fight, even, I was kind of worried. And it's like, okay, it's just a big crab. But after the the movie played out... I had a fun idea with it that I thought would be relatively unique and cool to do. So, okay. uh, so what I designed was 
a huge and real tough monster being controlled by a weaker but more sinister like humanoid. Okay. And the un- the big monster was almost like a this is supposed to be more of a a puzzle challenge. Uh, this is a creature that is supposed to be vastly overpowered for your your players. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I have this set as a challenge rating 9, and uh, in my head, you're going to be pitting this against, like, level 2 or 3 characters. Okay. Uh, because once they figure out the, uh, the solution to this so-called puzzle, mm-hmm. and they free the monster from control, the monster will then turn on the big bad of this, you know, whatever you're doing. Right. Um, and boom. That's it. So, kind of with that in mind, I created the Unstoppable Crab. <laughs> it's a huge beast, which is neutral good. Now, most beasts have the unaligned... Right. Uh, alignment? Thank you. The unaligned alignment? God did... Are unaligned? <laughs> Would you like to phrase it like that? I think I'm going to rephrase that a little bit differently. Okay. Uh, most beats... <laughs> most beats yeah, good night everybody I'm leaving <laughs> most beats go IU killer tofu ow that hurts Chris <laughs> what you deserve oh man for throwing yourself down the stairs yeah so most beasts have uh... oh god I almost did it again <laughs> wanna try again I wanna try so many times you are cut uh... <laughs> the one editing you don't have to do that most Okay, so most beasts are unaligned, uh, but I wanted this one. <laughs> Damn you did it. it. And then you're owing the take. Yeah, well, <laughs> do it again. Most beasts are unaligned, uh, so I really wanted this one to be different from that. Because uh-huh. unaligned, you know, if you free it, it's probably just going to keep doing what it's doing. But because the movie presents this crab as a good boy. Yeah. Uh, and he does drop Joel once he's freed. This thing needs to be neutral good. Uh, hopefully you're not putting this against your, uh, like a team of evil characters. But then again, if that's the case, uh, whatever you do, you, um, (laughs) you have options. Yeah. So, uh, I gave it a pretty high AC comparative to, Mm -hmm. again, if you're supposed to be, this thing's supposed to be put against low level characters. So, uh, AC of 18, which is in line with a challenge rating nine. Yeah. Um, just natural armor. Uh, it's got a ton of hit points at a hundred and seventy-five average. That's, That's a thir- lot. Yep, that is thirteen D eight plus a hundred and seventeen. That's yeah, a lot. Um, because I didn't want this challenge rating nine creature to go around and just TPK your characters before they could figure out how to you know solve the puzzle or so. Uh-huh. Uh It it only has a twenty foot movement speed, which okay. I mean I'm I'm taking some liberties here, but this way it can't you know chase them around everywhere. Um, <laughs> And it's got a swim speed of 30 feet. Now, the 20 feet movement speed is a little offset later on because I did give it a reach of 10 feet. Uh, so I, I think that in order to avoid being hit by this thing, the players are going to have to play a little bit more strategically mm-hmm. other than just move and attack. Um, but this way it can't just overwhelm them no matter what. Uh, it's got some pretty high strength, high constitution, obviously, uh, lower dexterity, and then... Uh, Lower intelligence, wisdom, and charisma, but higher than what you'd normally see in a typical beast. Um, saving throws, strength, and con, passive perception of nine, and like I said, challenge rating of nine. Okay. Um, it's got the amphibious trait, so it can breathe, you know, air and water. Uh, but here's here, its actions come in. Uh, 
It's got Claw, which is a plus 10 to hit, reach 10 feet, like I said, and does about an average of 14 bludgeoning damage, which is 2d8 plus 6, uh, which is not going to destroy a low-level team, but low-level party. I mean, it's going to mess them up. They're not going to be happy about it, but right. it's not going to outright kill anybody. Uh, but if it does hit, that target is grappled with an escape DC of 18, so unlikely for them to get free. Uh, Crab has two claws, each of which can grapple a target. Uh, then it also has the ability, I, I decided to give it a claw slam, where basically any creatures that it's got grappled, it can just automatically deal uh, 4d10 plus 6 bludgeoning damage to them, uh, and it releases the grapple on those creatures, so it's throwing them around or smashing mm -hmm. them into each other or whatever. Uh, so it's doing a substantial amount of damage to anything it can get its claws on. Uh, but there are plenty of opportunities for the players to try to break free of it. And it can't do all of that damage turn after turn after turn. Right. Uh, so it, in my head, it's enough to keep the players on edge. You know, the, this thing is very clearly a very threatening monster, uh, hard to bring down, will outright destroy your party if you yeah, let it. Yeah. But uh, so it, it, to me, it encourages that little bit more of a strategic, mm-hmm style uh now i made a secondary stat block for what i, I call that. the crab slaver um i based this one off of an orc war chief okay because he had the same uh, challenge rating that i kind of wanted to go with which was challenge four uh i see this as uh, a boss battle right so again party of like level two three maybe four characters um this is supposed to be a rough fight uh so i wanted the slaver to have at least enough of a presence of to be a threat as well, just not nearly as much as the, the you know the beast that's more than double his challenge rating. Mm -hmm. um, but he is a um, they are a medium humanoid uh, human, uh, and I specifically made them lawful evil. Uh, I mean, I guess if if you're running an evil campaign, you can always flop the the two alignments for the crab mm -hmm. to be evil and the slaver to be good. I don't know. I don't care. The point of the fact the fact of the matter is they're supposed to have opposite alignments. Uh, he's got chainmail, armor class of 16, hit points average of 44. Um, I gave him lower strength decks and constitution scores compared to the Orc War Chief okay. and higher intelligence, wisdom, and charisma because he's using a big crab to fight, do his fights. Yeah. So I figured that was uh, a little accurate there. Um, you know, he's got skills in deception and survival. Um that's that's mostly it but and he's of course got the he's got an ability uh called crab control uh as a reaction the crab slaver can deal one damage type chosen by the dm at the time of creation so it can be electric mm -hmm. psychic fire whatever as long as it's consistent um but it deals one damage to the unstoppable crab causing the crab to immediately change its current course of action and ending any effects of any controlling magic on it, such as calm emotions and suggestion and things. So basically the, uh, the slaver here is using his reactions to make sure the crab is doing what he wants it to do. Right. You know? So, uh, if it turns to attack him, yeah, it can definitely do that. It's got its own free will, but then he gives it a zap and, Oh, well, got to change directions. I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. So, uh, so, I mean, again, a little bit more strategy. If the players can move around and force him to use his reactions, then he can't. Uh, or if they take him out, then boom. Um, uh, and then, of course, he's got the standard multi-attack. He's got a scimitar. He's got a light, uh, light crossbow, each of which he can use twice. So he's not also completely out of the fight, even mm -hmm. at a range. 
Um, and that's what I have so far. Uh, I do, now that I'm looking over it again, realize that I don't have any way of the players turning the crab on the, uh, the slaver without making him use his reaction or just outright killing him. Um, so I might want to add in like some sort of, I don't know, way for them to relinquish control, but, uh, I, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure how you would do that. Um, well, let me ask you this. Do you think that would be a necessary addition? Mm, I don't think so, because even if you can't use those calm emotions or suggestions or whatever on the crab, you can use them on, on him on him, and make him stop doing that or relinquish the device that's doing it or whatever. Okay. So I, I think you, I think it's okay. Yeah, maybe I can put in an addendum on that crab control that the, the slaver does have. Like, it's not necessarily a magical connection that he has with the crab. He has some sort of device. Yeah. Um, So that the players can try to get it away from him. But but I agree with you. I think that a D&D... Of course, obviously, a D&D party is going to be a lot more resourceful than a bunch of survivors in uh, an apocalypse situation. That's always the... uh, The trade-off there. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I I like the idea that I've created more of Mm -hmm. a a puzzle encounter rather than just a straight-up punch big crab till it dies yeah yeah so um, i like it of course uh if you're anything like my if you have a party anything like mine uh you'll want to have contingency plans so that they don't just straight up recruit the crab and have it toting around with them for the rest of the campaign you can stop us at any time (laughs) you have the power to say no (laughs) but uh but yeah i i think that uh i think i've got something there so like i said i was pretty excited to have something new other than again just big monster Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you have any additions or notes or anything about that, Chris? Do you have any No, I think concerns? it's pretty darn good the way it is. Like, I, I like it. All right, rock on. Cool. So, yeah, we'll have this up on our Twitter and in our uh, our Drive account mm-hmm. when you guys uh, listen to the episode. Um, so, Chris, what are uh, what are we watching next week? It's All your week right. to... Yep, it or is. Or not next week, next episode. What are we yep. watching? Uh, well, I was kind of thinking, you know, I mean, we're only, this will be our seventh episode, the the next one. So, um, we haven't had a whole lot of time, but like, we haven't had anything from a couple of really noteworthy figures in the horror genre. Uh, we haven't had anything from, uh, Jonathan the Carpenter and, uh, little Stevie King. So, uh, I figured why not combine those and do something a little maybe off base. Um, we're watching Christine. Christine. The, the car movie. The haunted car movie. Oh. Chris, that's not on the list. No, it's not. <laughs> You're going off base here. I'm going way I'm, off course. I am unprepared for this. Let yeah, me, you are. I better write this down. Yeah. Um, You're going to make me watch this movie. I'm going to make you watch the haunted car movie, Matt. <laughs> Not the haunted truck movie. We're not That's watching a, Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, I know. I, I'm, I'm aware of that one. I yeah, am familiar yeah. with that one. Well, all right then. So look forward to that, listeners. Yeah. Uh, and thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, as always, you can uh, you can contact us through our email, creaturecrunchpodcast at gmail dot com, uh, or our Twitter, which mm-hmm. is at creaturecrunch. Yep. Uh, feel free to suggest movies that you'd like us to to talk about or make step blocks on. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us some feedback. Uh, make sure to rate and review us on places where you can do that, but only give us a high rating because <laughs> otherwise the logarithm chews you up and spits you into the garbage can. Yeah. And I mean, that's just mean, um, but also <laughs> it's, it's an unfortunate reality of the podcast world is that like the only ratings that matter are the ratings on Apple podcasts 
and the only ratings of those that matter are the five star ones. Yep. If if they rate you four stars, they may as well have rated you one. nothing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It it's awful. Like the logarithm is the meanest damn thing. I yep. hate that we live in this world. <laughs> so yeah, please do that. Uh, helps us get a lot more visibility uh, and. Uh, it might help us get a watcher <laughs> or listener or whatever. So you, none of you listeners out there, all you yeah. zero people, you better rate us. We're, we're in kind of a hellscape now. <laughs> uh, if you do happen to exist, though, please do. Uh, and and please. tell your friends, spread the yeah, word, yeah. Uh, however we're, you want to. Basically spreading via word of mouth right now. Um, yep. Like, I, I'm taking advantage of people being like, promote your stuff. And I'm like, hey, we have a podcast now. Yeah, and yeah. Yep, hey, and we got two retweets from that. We did. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank one, you, Victoria Rogers. You're yeah, amazing. <laughs> one was from the, <laughs> but still, uh, but yeah, we would really appreciate it, especially if you enjoy us, even if you don't. Um, and then uh, you can also check out our Patreon, uh, Creature Crunch. Although I, I'm not gonna lie, I was trying to find it on Patreon without using a link, and I could not. I do not know why this is. <laughs> so uh, there will be links in the description. Yeah. But, uh, if you'd like to go into our Patreon uh, and subscribe, we have no idea what we're doing. No, we don't. But we're we're stumbling around. I mean, this is we'll figure it out eventually. We'll get one there day, eventually. Yeah. One day, by the time we get uh, a viewer, uh, listener. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, check out our Patreon. Uh, support us if you'd really like to. I mean, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. And then you do get some bonus content. Uh, at least right now, as the time of this recording, all it is is our Critter Kibbles mm-hmm. episodes. We've been kicking around some ideas for extra bonus shows that we might do, or that I might do, or something like that. Since Matt's kind of in control of all the other stuff, <laughs> we might. I was even thinking we might be able to do uh, early episodes of this, like you can get it a week early or something. Something. Um, but we'll think of something. But honestly, uh, if if you would, uh, like I said, our Critter Kibbles are just we mm-hmm. we do other stat blocks for other monsters and. Uh, we now own the only stat block for John Voight. It's true. So, <laughs> that we uh, know of. There may be others out there somewhere, but I haven't seen them. I Googled it. Granted, <laughs> ours, does, ours does not specifically say John Voight on it, so uh, it might be a bit different. But, but you'll know. You'll know. Um, but yeah, uh, so thank you so much for listening. Um, and uh, you can, if you want to, follow us individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, where can we find you? Uh, I can be found on Twitter at TheLibraryC, that's C-E-E. And uh, I can be found on Twitter as well at uh, the Danny. Nope, nope, nope. I Uh-oh. can be found on Twitter as well at Danny ha- underscore Hamstake. I don't even know my own Twitter handle. You're having problems. Gosh. It's been a rough one for you, hasn't it? Chris, I'm in a lot of pain. Yeah. And I'm still sick. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why you threw yourself down the stairs or? You know what? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, it's because I wanted to wear my breakfast. <laughs> and I succeeded. <laughs> You sure did, my man. Pour one out for my breakfast. Um, but yeah, uh, and then also we do have a, uh, I do have, I do technically have another podcast, Shouting at Dice. It's our actual play D&D podcast that I would love to get back into yeah. editing, but I need to find those audio files. Yep. I do not know where they are, but I do know they exist. I promise that. Um, so yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will talk to you next time.